Jesus gave us those words not as a prayer to recite, but as a pattern to change our lives. This prayer, as we have been talking, helps us take our lead from heaven following the example of Jesus. So we want to take it over the next uh, several weeks very carefully so that you can mine all of it, the richness that God meant for you to have. This is, as I said, an order from Jesus to do this repeatedly when it says in Matthew chapter 6 verse 9 that Jesus said, pray then in this way. That word pray in the Greek is a present imperative, verb tense and mood. It means continue to pray. Pray on a regular basis. And it's, it's an order, imperative. It's, it's important that you do this. In this way, the Greek word hotos, uh, hutos, means um, after a pattern that will transform your life. And then he said this word, our. You know, us old athletes know that there is no I in team. There are no I in prayer either, although we don't usually pray it that way. Usually, when we go to God, we have ourselves as the recipients of God's action or our group. And Jesus wanted to teach us something very different. You know, I've taught you for years that righteousness is meeting the demands of a relationship. A couple of weeks ago, I was at Summit Church um, uh, because a grandnephew of mine was getting uh, baptized. And, and uh, I heard Zach, the pastor there, say, uh, he was quoting Bruce Walke. Bruce Walke is an a, a Old Testament professor, brilliant man. And he defined righteousness like this. This sounds even more like Jesus to me. Righteousness is disadvantaging yourself for the sake of someone else. That sounds a whole lot like Jesus, doesn't it? Righteousness is disadvantaged. Now let me ask you, do we pray that way? When we pray, do we pray beyond ourselves and our own group? It's not bad to pray for those who you love. Frankly, I will always pray to go to God with you in my heart. We are inseparable. I hear a lot of you say thank you. By the way, we'll miss you. But, but think about this just for a second. You've been so kind. But after 32 years, we'll never be separated. You understand that? We'll always be a part of each other's lives. It's not like I can, I can ever not be with you. Terry's here this morning from the bayous of Louisiana. And we have been through a whole lot together. I was with her at the loss of her son. And she was with me in my heart at the loss of mine. We will always be together. When I go on to the next ministry in this community, to the poor and the marginalized, I'll go as the person you've shaped me to be for the last 32 years. When I teach in the middle of the week, in a non-religious setting, and I don't know, still don't know where that's going to be yet. But I'll teach not as the person I was when I came here, but the person you have helped shape for the last 32 years. There's no way I can pray just by myself. You're always with me in prayer. But here's the key. When Jesus says ours, 
He means our Father. When I pray, do I just pray for me and for you? Or do I pray for people who are not like me and you? Do I pray for people who don't think like me? Is my, will my prayer be a blessing to them as well? See, that's key. Because if we don't take them into consideration, we stunt our spiritual life and we stunt what we're asking God to do. As a matter of fact, we're divided in ways that will eventually attack us. Can I tell you a weird story? I love to tell stories. I'll tell you a weird story. You ready for this? Karen Burns uh, is her name. She's still alive. I uh, heard this um, um, on NPR. Uh, Karen Burns uh, was afflicted with epilepsy. And it had come to the point in her life where she was having so many seizures every day, it had her constantly paralyzed. And so the doctors did something very radical, very rarely done. They went into her brain and they severed the corpus callosum. The corpus callosum is that band of nerves that connects the two hemispheres of our brain. Incidentally, women have a larger corpus callosum than men do. That's why women always relate everything. Everything is related to them. Everything leads to something else, you know? Because the old saying, women are like spaghetti and men are like waffles. Men just have categories. They don't, it doesn't, not a lot goes back and forth. This is my category. This is what I'm doing right now. I don't want to do anything else. This is what I'm doing right now. Men and women are different. But anyhow, so they severed this, this, this to, to stop these seizures. And it worked. And they thought that, 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 the, that they, had, they had escaped the surgery with very little impact. She had some speech impediment. But on her first re return visit to the doctor, she came in, she's talking to the doctor, and her left hand just reaches up, starts unbuttoning her blouse. And the doctor said, what are you doing? And she looked down, she said, I don't know. And it, and, and, and it just kept, and so they had to physically restrain her. She said, I'm trying to stop and I can't stop it. The doctor knew immediately what had happened. It's a syndrome called alien hand syndrome. And it happens when one part of the brain is severed from the other part of the brain. You see, what had happened here, the right hemisphere operates the left side of your body. Now watch this. The right hemisphere just happens to be the storage place for most of the moral uh, perspectives we have. And so she went home from there and she said, somehow, my left hand was trying to get me to be a better person. She said, not willingly on my part. She said, I had some bad habits. She said, I cuss. And she said, whenever I cussed, my left hand would smack me <laughs> in the face. Smack me so hard that it sometimes left me black and blue. I smoke. And so when I smoked, my left hand tried to put it out. Not willingly, but that was it. So, so I use this as an analogy to tell you that God created differences so that we would communicate. If you don't communicate in the midst of differences, not only are you unbalanced, but you eventually attack.
You attack and, 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 and you elicit a restraint or a counterattack response. When Jesus said, our Father, he meant for us to pray in a way that always has our prayer in ways that will benefit others, even if it means some sort of um, 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 self-disadvantaging. Uh, okay, then the second word was Father. Now, this doesn't seem weird to us now, but it was pretty weird back then. Because whereas in the Old Testament, there's reference to a, a father, a couple of places. But that was always, you know, kind of removed and the father of nations and, and, and so on and so forth. Nowhere in the Old Testament is he invoked in a father relationship. But Jesus was real clear about wanting to teach us to relate as a father to a father. It was right after his resurrection. Remember this scene? I've talked about it many times. Where Mary recognizes him as resurrected and she runs and, and clings him, and clings to him. Now, it says in, in, in uh, John chapter 20, verse 17, that Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. See, I, Mary, I'm going home. You know, don't hold me back from a home. You don't want to do that. A lot of us who have lost people would cling to them. We'd say we want the old life back. But if they're going home, would you really? If you loved them, stop clinging to me. I go to my father, but, but go to my brethren. It, this isn't about you and me, Mary. This isn't about us having the old relationship, you know, like we always had. I got my old Jesus back, you know. Do you understand that you never can have the relationship you used to have with anybody? You can't go back. Stop clinging to that. Stop clinging to me, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my father and your father and my God and your God. See, Jesus wanted to teach us about the father who loves us more than we could possibly know. The father who wants to embrace us. The, the father who wants to be with us. The Father who, who needs to be our focus. You know, the Father was always Jesus' focus. Jesus wasn't Jesus' focus. Jesus was down here to lead us to the Father. And so he gave us one focus, but told us to gather as many as we could and get there together. Let me tell you another analogy. Here's another story. Some of you this week were in Sanford, Florida, with an event convened by um, um, the Clarks. You know, they own the store up there, Wonder Made. Um, it's, it's a marshmallow store, and, and, and now they're going into ice cream, and it's wonderful, and they're wonderful people. And, and, and Sanford is one for a little study, and every once in a while they have a live after five event. And so here was the challenge to all of the folks who, who heard about it come and help us break the Guinness World Book of Records. Break the record for s'mores. 
Now, most of you know what s'mores are. If you don't know what a s'more is, you ain't been raised right. So you got to know, s'mores, for those of you who don't know, is a graham cracker with a slab of chocolate and uh, some roasted marshmallow that squishes down with another graham cracker. That's a s'more. It's so good. We all left that place with chocolate around our mouth like this. But here was the contest to them. First of all, can you break the world's record for the tallest s'more? The world's tallest s'more. And can you break the world's record for the most people gathered to make s'mores simultaneously and eat them simultaneously? It was so much fun. Now, they had, they had tables, and they had probably 15, 20 people surrounding that table. Now, let me ask you, just, just, you don't have to raise your hand or anything. What do you think, how tall is a s'more going to get with 15 or 20 people trying to build the same s'more at the same time? N- not going to happen, is it? Not going to happen. So here's what happened naturally. Nobody appointed a leader, but at every table, I started noticing this one person to go high, you've got to have a focus. You've got to have a focus leader to, to reach your capacity. Not everybody else, not everybody can reach your capacity, your, your, your potential with everybody just pitching in with what they do. You've got to have a focus leader. And so, and so all the rest of us just stood around and handed her stuff. The, the winner, by the way, for the world's tallest some more was a Girl Scout troop. Duh. Like we couldn't see that coming. But you went from table to table. There was just one person building those. Do you understand? When Jesus gives us the focus of the Father, he's saying, you know, there's a whole lot that a a whole lot of you can do. But I I want you all to be focused one place. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. That's your focus. And secondarily, love each other as you love yourselves. See, that's, that's the second. See, we also broke the record for the most building s'mores together and eating them. You know, the old record was 438. This was 1316, 1316 people were doing that simultaneously. Smashed the old world record. So proud. Had such a great week. The point is this, that you need both. Jesus is saying, this is a relational thing, but we all get closer by having the same focus. And that is a father. It's not the law. In the Old Testament, God gave us the law, and eventually we became slaves to it. Religion became all about morality. Are you doing this right? Are you doing this wrong? And, and God became this cop in the sky who was looking and going, I can't wait for you to make a mistake. I'm going to hop on you. No, that's not who God is. It says in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, it says the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry Abba. Abba is is Aramaic for daddy. It's a warm, personal, crawl up in your lap 
kind of term. Abba, Father. That's important. And it's important to get to the place where we understand that, that God is a better father to us than any earthly father could ever be. Now, I hope some of you had good fathers, and, and some of you did. But some of you had no fathers around. And some of you had really bad fathers. And for all of us that are fathers, we always kind of look back and go, man, I kind of messed up. I, I, never, I never quite measured up in my own mind, you know. But here's the deal. No matter what kind of father you had or didn't have, all of us need to be reparented by a father who far exceeds our earthly fathers. This is how Jesus put it in Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 through 11. He said, which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? I mean, what father would do that? Even a dumb father would not do that. Uh, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? No, no. Any father would, as it continues, give him something more because if you who are evil, now let me explain this, this term to you in Greek. In Greek, it's um, paneros. Uh, and paneros doesn't mean bad, wicked, you know, it, it's not calling you horrible people. Paneros means narrow. It means what a father does is he usually responds to the circumstances instead of the person. And he doesn't have the whole picture, the long term in mind. When you give somebody the evil eye, this is what you do. See, you squint. You come to the narrow view. Those of you who respond as a father only to the circumstance in front of you. If, if you can still give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So here's what Jesus is trying to help us do. He's trying to help us get reparented, reparented by our father who is in heaven. Do you know how you do that? You follow the son. Because if your life becomes conformed to the image of Christ, and that's exactly what the Bible says to do. It says in Romans 8, 29, it says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, Jesus, so that Jesus would be firstborn among many brothers and sisters. If we follow Jesus, actually follow who Jesus was, he's our example, he's our blueprint. Our prayers will go to God in ways that release what God has for us. And what God has for you is way better than what you're praying for. Way better. His plans for your life are way bigger than your plans for your life. Much better. And so George Mueller, who, who was one of the great prayer icons of all time, lived about 100 years ago, and you read this guy's biography, and the answers to his prayer were absolutely miraculous. But this is what he said. Prayer is not for the purpose of overcoming God's, the Father's reluctance. I'm sorry, the Father's reluctance. 
Prayer is for the purpose of laying hold of God's willingness. Do you know how you do that? You follow Jesus closely enough so that you're praying what the Father has for you. Let me tell you another story. Bill Glass, some of you who are football fans know that name. You, you know, you knew him in prison ministry, had a great prison ministry, I think, with Chuck Colson. But Bill Glass, I was, I, I, I was raised to be a big Bill Glass fan because I'm from Ohio and he played for the Browns. And he was this huge hulking defensive end, but a gentle soul and loved God, loved God. And, 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 and so Bill Glass had a son, John was his name. And John was a specimen. I mean, this guy was strong. He was fast. He was such an astounding, 250 pounds of speed and cunning. And, and, and everybody was telling um, John, man, you're going to be better than your daddy. This is just incredible. And he loved the game and he loved his dad and he couldn't wait, you know, to, to make his dad proud. And his senior year, he gets taken out with a knee injury. And now his whole future is in doubt. Everything he loved, everything he hoped for is in doubt. His dad knows he's hurting and his dad wants to comfort him only. His dad is kind of like the rest of us. You know, we're not, you know, not really good at emotional stuff a lot of times and, and don't know what to say and, and think that what we say probably won't be good enough. And, 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 but, he's, but he knows his son's hurting. His son's at home. He's in his bedroom upstairs. And so Bill goes home and, and he's rehearsing what he's going to say to his son because he doesn't want to mess it up. And he's going to walk in and he's going to say, son, it's okay. It's okay. We're not going to let this beat us. We're going to go to the Lord, and the Lord's going to see us through this, and we're going to be okay. He's resolved. He's, he's, he's said that speech several times, and, and he gets to the top of the steps, and he hears his son crying his eyes out in the bedroom. And he walks in, and he can't speak a word. He just starts crying. And his son looks up, and he says, Dad, it's okay. We're not going to let this thing beat us. We're going to go to the Lord, and he'll show us through. We're going to be okay. The son prayed the exact words the father had been rehearsing. He prayed his father's prayer because he was close to his father and he loved his father and he thought about his father in all things. That's what Jesus wants for us. Jesus wants us to pray what God has for us because what God has for us is so much better than what we want or think we have for ourselves. Now let me tell you one more thing. It says, our Father, who art in heaven. Our Father, who art in heaven. So here's, here's where I want you to go with me. I want you to go from a son who imprints on the Father. 
which Jesus did. Remember what it says in John chapter 5, verse 19? Where Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. That's, what, that's what's going to happen in our lives. We're going to recognize what God's doing and join God. Because whatever the father does, the son does also. So we're going from there to the next challenge. Now, here's the next challenge. When Jesus says, who art in heaven, how many of you, don't have to raise your hand, but feel an automatically, automatic divide? I'm on earth, he's in heaven. There's a distance between us. You think of heaven as something that's going to happen someday. You'll be with God someday in heaven. This prayer says exactly the opposite. It says that earth and heaven have two different ways of thinking, but they are not distant from one another. As a matter of fact, this prayer is given to unite them. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus wanted us to think of heaven as something that's happening right now. And so therefore, we need to retrain our brains and be reparented to think like heaven, to have the mind of Christ. I was listening to a talk this week by Rob Willer, who's a, um, a teacher. And he was saying, you know, it looks like right now in our, in our country, things are more politicized and polarized than, than, than they've ever been in the history of our country. And, and you just think the next line's going to be, but they're not. We've always been, you know, we've always been divided and always, you know, been. <laughs> but the next line is, yeah, they really are. And he said, I'll tell you why. Because we have developed our media and our lifestyle in such a way that we never have to come out of our bubble. We can listen to and hang around people just like us. Which, who is exactly who we gravitate toward. People just like us, who have the same opinions, same socioeconomic groups, same cultural background, same life. That's what we do. And he said, it literally, by all surveys and all accounts, we are more politicized and polarized than we have ever been in the history of this country. And he said, there's only one way to break through that because when you're polarized you still feel like you have to convince everybody else all the other lunkheads that you're right that's what happens that's what happens in relationships that's what happens in society that's certainly what happens in politics and he says the reason there's gridlock is it's the same dynamic we keep arguing our perspective from our perspective they don't have our perspective. How far is that going to go with them who don't think like us, who don't have the same values we do? The only way there's going to be any progress, now watch, is if we learn to love and respect and understand enough that we can argue our perspective from their perspective. We can argue what we believe to be right 
with their words, with their values, with the way they think. That way, and this has been tested, by the way, that way, opinions really do shift and cooperation really does happen. This is, now, so what's, what's the Lord trying to get us to do in this prayer? He's trying to get us to start thinking in heavenly terms. See, if you look at your life right now, you, you might just think, man, these circumstances are horrible. Oh, man, I wish I was in a different place. Oh, man, I wish I wasn't like this. Oh, man, I wish I was, you know. And you, and you just wish for something else. Do you think heaven looks at you like that? Man, I wish they were in a different place. I wish it. No. Heaven sees they are right where they need to be, and they are right who they need to be to make the next step toward God and bring along others toward the Father. You're exactly where you need to, do for, you need to be for ministry and for mission. And some of you will take that step, which is not a little scary, by the way, especially after you're used to being where you are for a long time. But you'll take that next step because you're thinking now more like heaven and not like earth. And those who still think like earth will say, what are you doing? That doesn't make any sense. But if they start to think like heaven, it makes all kinds of sense. And it makes all kinds of sense to do it now. We keep thinking that heaven is someplace we'll be someday. God doesn't want us to think like that. God wants us to think heaven is where we can walk right now, today. Heaven is that venue that can come through us right now with our life exactly like it is right now. You know, I was listening to a comedian the other day, and uh, Paul Taylor, and he was saying, you know, it's like this everywhere. When you drive someplace with kids, they're just in the backseat whining. You know, when are we going to get there? You know, are we there yet? He said, if I was driving a time machine, my kids would be in the backseat whining. Are we then yet? Get it? Never mind. We keep waiting for heaven. Are we then yet? And the answer is, yeah, right now. We're then now. And Jesus wants to teach us to have the power to walk in the ways of heaven. Come on, pray with me.